Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest, both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Well, uh, as Dusty already uh, alluded to, we have a special guest speaker, and I want to take just a moment to introduce him. I met Todd Rose uh, six years ago, about a week or so after we landed here as your pastors. He was here at home, and he took me to this gut-busting, fantastic, great cafe downtown to have these monster burgers. He reminded me, we couldn't remember the name, it was Thurman's, right? And uh, and we got to know each other, and I've gotten to know him a lot more since then, got to have a trip to Russia. And he's coming today to talk to us about the power of mentoring. And it's a very uh, simple, clearly put message that could easily in some ways go over our heads. But I want to just tell you, this guy has the experience to do it. He landed in Russia in the mid-90s, and he has mentored uh, some Russian pastors to grow what is now one of the largest churches in Russia. They have a voice in Moscow uh, with input into setting religious freedom for the whole country. Todd himself uh, leads uh, uh, an international service that reaches out to college students coming all over the world, mostly medical students, but other, other people coming to Russian University in Saratov, a town about the size of Columbus. And uh, now he's been sending them back as, as mentored, effective leaders to help go back and lead hospitals and lead health departments for their nations and, and become major people within the educational sphere of nations. And he has a lot of credibility to speak to us today. And I want you to open your heart uh, because I think if you do, you'll see some of the way that God wants to use you in a different way and in a more powerful way through who you can be to other people. So would you welcome with me right now Todd Rose, our missionary from Saratov. Thank you. I'll tell you something you probably don't know. Well, that day that uh, Ross, uh, I took him to the Thurman Cafe, uh, two plugs for the Thurman Cafe and one, one sermon. Wow. Um, we went down and had lunch, and as we're driving back, if you know that area, my, I, had, I was driving this amazing car. Uh, it was an 87 Ford Bronco. It was wonderful. I miss it. And, and uh, as we're driving home uh, in one of the toughest areas of Columbus, like the, the spare tire on the back, it, the, the little thing that connects it had so badly rusted out that it just broke, and it starts swinging on the road as we're driving and we're on like parsons avenue and just you know bad time and i'm kind of embarrassed and it's like his second day officially in columbus and and i'm like welcome to columbus ross uh i'm like do me a favor you hop in the driver's side and i'll get i'll fix the the back thing and if if something happens in the meantime you just drive it'll be okay I'll, I, and that really did happen and and i'm still asked to preach here so it works out well um good job uh, no, it's great to be here. Uh, I've got uh, my wife and two of my kids are back home in Russia and uh, they send their greetings. But I've got three of my little ones here with me uh, on this trip. And uh, we, I've been looking forward to this day for a long time because I get to uh, face to face in person and say thank you uh, because you've prayed for us for a long time. We've been in Russia. I've been there for 18 years. My first time I went to Russia was uh, almost exactly to the day 20 years ago. Uh, and so you've been a great blessing to us for a long time, but especially this last year it was amazing 
there was a moment that was just a, a great window of opportunity that you really helped participate in when we uh, when we were able to buy our new car. And it was great. If you remember when I was here in the fall, I spoke about that conflict with the Ukraine and Russia. And that all of a sudden, even after I left, the, the dollar just exploded. One dollar used to be 35 rubles and then it went up to about 70. And we really as a family dreamed about having a car where we could actually be legal when we drove all of our family. I mean, well, there's times we had a station wagon and we put like, we, we didn't do that where we put the kids in the back, but we had four kids in the middle and every time we'd see a cop, you know, you can do that in Russia because, you know, the police are happy to, you know, take a bribe. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, no, we, so it was great to have a car and a ministry, uh, vehicle that, so the, all of a sudden, I, I, when we saw the, the ruble devaluing, if you will, and the dollar being, uh, more expensive. I sent an email to Ross and I, we were just blown away with how you were able to help us. And with the change in the dollar, uh, our family were able to buy a, a minivan or it's got the five seats and then two seats pop up in the back. And for us, it's just the ideal vehicle for us, for our family, for ministry. And we wouldn't have had it if it wasn't for that, that mini financial crisis that Russia went through. And we certainly wouldn't have it without the help that you provided. So I really wanted to say great. In fact, that I wanted uh, our, the church in Russia, I think our experience is every time there is some, some sort of mini crisis or major crisis, it seems like those are the times that God works the most, most powerfully. Uh, if you're ready for it, I think sometimes it's, it's difficult for you personally and maybe nationally, but uh, I think those are the times to keep your eyes open because God, God could be up to something. Our Russian church, we had saved some dollars over the years and really didn't know why. And then all of a sudden in this crisis with the, with the dollar exploding, uh, there was a company behind us with a, a building behind our church, about 1,500 square feet. And the, the, it was for them, it was just an additional building. And when the crisis hit, they just needed some extra cash. And the dollars were great. And so we were able to buy like a, a new facility that's going to open up a, a kid's facility for us that we've just never had and always, always kind of dreamed about. And if it wasn't for that financial crisis that we went through, we wouldn't have a car. We, we wouldn't have the new children's facility that we have. So I say next time that something like that pops up, um, don't, don't look at your wallet, look up at heaven and say, God, you're, you're up to something. Amen. I, 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 listen, I'm also excited for another reason because I've known, which is kind of uh, rare for me when I know two or three months in advance what I'm going to be speaking about. Because when Ross and I talked a few months ago, I told him that we're planning to come back. Uh, just almost immediately, uh, I knew what I was to share here. And that doesn't happen every day. And so I would say, really turn your ears, your spiritual ears uh, on today and as really is I think that God has something to say to us that'll really have an impact not just on our lives but on the church and on the individual people that that make up this church uh, I, I, what I, I just open up all my cords to you ahead of time and say uh, what the, the message is called the, the power of mentoring but it just even this week I would change it to say uh, the mess, the title would be what do you do when you don't know what to do uh, and I've got to say that even 20 years ago, I was walking in a, in a moment where I just, that's where I was. Uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know what questions to ask to get the right answers. And I had gone to, uh, I, had a, I, had, well, I had a job. I was working at a bank. I had a great job. I had a, new, a house that I bought. Uh, I had a, a brand new car. I had everything that mommy and daddy told you to strive for and, and educate for and push for. I had it all. And I could see life 5, 10, 50, 50 years out, and, and it, it looked great. And I went on a mission trip to Russia, uh, like I said, almost exactly 20 years ago. And when I got back, 
Well, I remember flying home. And the the idea was I'm going to go and I'll just do the little things that I can do. I mean, I'm just a a banker. What can I do? Um, The thought was I'll carry the bags of the spiritual people and and I'll pass out Bibles and maybe give some candy to some kids. Because really, what what else can I do? And when I came home, I was on the plane. I I took the little Delta blanket and threw it over my head because I didn't want anybody to see me cry. I was bawling. And there there were two reasons why. One is I couldn't believe that God used me like that. And because I, I look back and and I, I got up in front of people, which that, that this just never happened before. I got up in front of people and shared uh, the word of God and preached and saw people come forward and, and give their lives to Christ. I couldn't believe that God would do that through me. And then I'd go out on that. We were out in the parks and I just kind of share my testimony and talk to people. And we had lines of people standing up to. To, to know more about Jesus. I was crying because I couldn't believe that God would do that through me. I kind of always saw it that maybe he could do it through more spiritual people than me or uh, people with bigger, bigger talents, bigger giftings, but not through me. And uh, But there was another reason I was crying, and I think it was probably the dominator reason I was crying because I knew that I could sense, I could feel, I knew that he was calling me to something different. I, I, I could feel it. I was in the plane. I knew he was saying to me, Todd, that 5, 10, 50-year picture, I've got something different. And it was tearing me up. I just, and I was afraid of it. I, and I knew that what he was asking me for, I, I just couldn't say yes to right now. It was just so, so difficult for me to, to give up that picture that I had to, to kind of obey him. And I know that if he would have given me the whole picture, um, and said it, in, in 2015, you're still going, you're going to be there. You're going to be doing that. I would have taken the belly of any whale to, to and, and rather than that Nineveh with no question. Uh, have you been there? I was in a crossroads in my life. Absolutely. Uh, it was, uh, it was an intersection. It was a crisis for me where I just didn't know what to do. And I was being asked, uh, I felt like from God, something that I just, I couldn't say yes to. And it was just such a moment where it was, it was just above my gray paid. It really was. And I don't know if you've been that way. Maybe, maybe for me, it was in that moment of, uh, giving up a job and heading towards some sort of ministry. But maybe for you, it's parenting. Maybe for you, it's marriage or a job change where you're just at that moment where you just don't know what to do. Don't know where to go and don't know what questions to ask. My, Greatest uh, joy in life is knowing that I was surrounded by great people at that time. And when I was just at a place where I knew that I couldn't answer the questions, I had people around me that came in, that walked into my life and said, we're going to, we're going to help and help me to, to find the answers that I'm looking for. And more than that, mentored me along the way to, to become the man of, of God, to become the believer that I, that I am today. I know that I wouldn't be uh, or uh, who I am. I wouldn't have the influence that I have in Russia or anywhere else if it wasn't for the, uh, those men and one man in particular that really poured his life into me. Hallelujah. In, in Proverbs 27, it says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One of my favorite verses, Psalm seventy-one, eighteen. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. It's my theory that, that of all the things that you can do in ministry in the church, of all the, all the services that you can do, there's no greater dividend, there's no greater reward, there's no greater impact that you could possibly have than pouring your life into someone else. 
See, I think that everybody, oh, to me, mentoring to me is when someone has an expertise or some experience, someone has some knowledge in a certain area, and they're able to give it out to somebody who needs it at that moment. Just being to pour out what God has already poured in. And it's my thinking, it's my theory that sometimes in the, in, in the church, when the church is in a serious Christian minority, uh, the church, the big C church, when the church is in a, a serious Christian minority, like say us in, in, in Saratov, we, I, I think if 1% of the, of the population of Saratov, if they were, if they were born again, we would think Jesus was coming back soon. Uh, even though it's supposed to be technically a Russian culture, uh, there's nothing, uh, excuse me, a Christian, a Russian Orthodox culture, there's very little Christian about it. In fact, when I moved over uh, 18 years ago, we knew pastors that had just been been uh, saved and come to Christ and they had 50 or 60 people falling behind them but they were they were living with their girlfriends uh, they just the culture was so different and and so uh, so forcing their way upon uh, upon the, the people that live there that uh, the even the Christian lifestyle some of the basics that we would see from the from this book that we followed this just, just weren't there and so uh, it almost demands when the church is in a Christian minority like that uh, uh, mentoring is not just a program of the church it's a it's a way of life. And not only do I have, we have that concept with a, the, certainly a non-Christian culture like that, but I work with international students, as, as Ross said. I work with students. I'm forced. I think God has really clarified my mission, and I, and I praise him for it, because I work with international students that at most are going to be with me six years. I mean, most of them are, are medical students, but uh, like seven years ago, we had four or five uh, African students that came in in Saratov, and we started an English service, and, and today uh, we have a service going on right now. It's, uh, I think, 6.30 in the evening right now, and uh, there are probably 120 students from 20 different nations all over. Uh, it's incredible to be a part of it, but, but I know that every student that comes in is going to be with me a maximum of six years, and so I'm forced uh, to just throw my life and build that ministry around the idea that they're going away someday. They're not going to be with me for 10, 20, 50 years. And in fact, I might go away at, at any moment. And so it's a time where I think God has forced me to say, pour into their lives. And my experience is, and I've done every type of different ministry that's out there. And my experience is this, is you can do different projects, you can do different events at the church, but they come and go. But when you pour into someone's life, that never goes away. The investment that you pour into someone else provides dividends that no other form of ministry often provides. Are you, are you following me? I'm using a, an example today of what I think is probably, the, for me, it's the perfect example of what mentoring looks like. And it's between Moses and Joshua. I love Old Testament heroes. And I love the Bible because a lot of times when they're talking about our heroes, they, they show them in their weaknesses as well. And they talk about Moses being the most humble, but they also talk about him killing people. Uh, and and I think they talk about David and all his greatness, but they also talk about his sins as well. You'll be hard-pressed to find a weakness in Joshua's life. And in fact, he made one small mistake, but he quickly corrected it afterwards. I just, I love Joshua, but, but what I love more is that clearly Moses trained his, his disciple well. He poured into to Joshua to be in many ways uh, even better than himself. He certainly was the greatest general 
in the history of of, of the Old Testament. And I, I look at him and look at what, what Moses did to build him up. And we'll just kind of use that as an example today. But I want to say again, uh, God really impressed upon me this last year how important it is to pour into people's lives. And, and how important it is. In fact, the greatest missionary verse in the Bible says, go and, and make disciples. But it seems like so few, so often uh, we get busy in ministry, we get busy in our, our life and putting out the fires in life that, that we... We forget the, the, to, to make disciples. We forget to take the time to take someone to pour into them or have or let someone else pour into us. And, and I, there was a time uh, just about a year ago working with the international students. I have a guy, I have a guy named Bafour, and he's from Ghana. He's a medical student. He graduated last year. He's, he just finished his medical exam in Ghana, and he's, he's soon to be a, an official doctor. But we do something special in our churches back home. And at graduation Sunday, I mean, these people have really worked hard for six years. Before, had never been home. Uh, he'd been in, in, in Sarata for, for the entire six years. And we do something special where, and we'll do it on the 12th and the 19th of July when we get back, is uh, we just all the graduates, they take 10, 20, 30 minutes and just kind of share. And we had 12 last year. Bafour was one of them. And I went to him and I said, Bafour, which, which Sunday do you want to take? And he said, Pastor, I have never missed a Sunday in the six years I've been here. And he hadn't. And, and he says, my thinking is, is that Sunday, uh, I know where I'm supposed to be. If there's two feet of snow on the ground, I'm going to be in church. That I'm, I want to be clear to, uh, close to my God and I want to be with the, his church body. That's where we're supposed to be. But I won't be there that Sunday. I said, why not? And he said, there's no way you'll get me to walk up and, and hold the microphone. This just, it's not going to happen, which is ironic. He's six foot, 190. I mean, he's got six pack. He really, he's the, you know, the strongest guy in our, but he wouldn't, he was petrified of speaking. And immediately, immediately I loved him because that's, that's my experience as well. And, and I said, you, you can do this. And he started to shut the door of his hostel. Like, I, I'm, I love you, but you know, no, no. And so I, I talked him down and I said, look, do me a favor, just go before the church. And this will be maybe the last time you get a chance to, to just speak to them as a whole. So if there was one thing you could say to them that you would just want to give them that maybe you'll never get a chance to give them again, share it. And he did. And he walked up and I'm, yeah, he, you, he, had, he had papers. That, I mean, it was, you could hear him rattling. I loved it. And, uh, and of the 52 hours of preaching that year, uh, those 10 minutes were by far the best. It was incredible. I mean, I, I was trying not to cry. It was just fantastic. Uh, all of a sudden, the, he started to stop shaking, and, and he shared. He said, guys, this, I really want you to hear this. It was incredible. Uh, and as much as it was incredible, I had a terrible feeling of conviction upon me. I really did. I mean, not terrible, but I just... And I, and I looked, and I felt like God was speaking to me and said... You missed him. You missed him. And he was, and, and the, the thought I had is, you know what? With the, with the Russian church for a, for a good year, I've been just absolutely overloaded with administrative type stuff and, and projects and putting out fires. And I just, I was, now I have a great team that I was pouring into of international students, but just so busy with other things that I didn't see the gold and this boy, and I thought, man, if I could have, if I would have seen this, if I would have done this, if I would have put him in a position to grow two years ago, who would he be today? And, and, and I, I left that meeting, uh, that, that second, I said, uh, God help me to not repeat this. He's a great man of God, and, and I kind of missed it because, because I was so busy, or I was concentrating on other things. And so I say again, 
there are many people around you right now in this building that call Quest their home or, or, or believers around you that won't become the man or woman of God without your input into their life. We need each other. I say this, you need to, to mentor someone in some area and you need to, to be mentored. And in doing so, we become the body of God. And I would say, again, so you hear, we need each other. And I think that our church and the church of God is, is stronger, better, more, more powerful when we have this idea that we need each other and that, and that you're, our church is stronger because you're here. Now, if we were in South of everybody would have said amen, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's Western Ohio. Amen. Good. Thanks. I'm looking at Exodus 17 and I'm looking at how Moses trained Joshua. And I'm going to parallel it to my life. As I said, I had some great people that poured into me. And Moses said to Joshua, Exodus 17, 9, choose some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. I see the first thing that I see that Moses did with Joshua just gave him a, a simple task to do. It wasn't so simple if you look at it, but I mean, it's kind of life or death at that point. But uh, he gave him a simple task. And I think that's step one. Really, step one is just seeing the potential in somebody. Uh, seeing the God-given potential, seeing that uh, not just focusing on, on your own gifts or your own fears or your own problems or your own talents that God has given you, but, but looking at other, the other people around you and saying that there's a, there's a flame of God in that person as well. What can I do to increase it? And I think that uh, uh, there's no age, there's no race, there's no educational background that prevents us from, from doing so. And I, I, step one, I think, obviously, is that Moses saw potential in Joshua and just humbled himself to say, I'm going to pour into him. And Joshua, even more so, humbled himself to say, I need to receive from, from Moses. And because of that, the relationship worked. I don't think that, uh, that, that Moses sent a text and said, I'm going to be your mentor and you're going to be my mentee. And it just, it wasn't that type of relationship. It was just, son, uh, I see something in you and uh, I'm going to do everything I can for you to become the man of God that this nation needs. And it worked. So he gave him an initial task. And I, I do that. And uh, I, I think that's the way to, to test someone. That two things happen when you do that. One is if somebody's not faithful in little things, they're not going to be faithful in bigger things. And I say all the time is that never minimize this, even the smallest roles that you have in the church and the kingdom of God. Because you never know what, what seeds you're planted in someone else's life. And you never know what that event or what that action is going to mean for your own ministry with God later on. And so another thing is, I think, I think not only was Moses kind of maybe testing Joshua here, but he was also trying to show Joshua, son, you can do this. And, I'm go- and at the same time, Moses goes up on the hill and kind of makes sure that he's successful. Praise God. And so I, I look back at one of my pastors. He really took interest in me. He walked up to me once and I was totally intimidated by this man. I really was. He, he had such a serious look on his face. I always considered him to be super spiritual. He was a businessman before he came a pastor and he just had this, you know, stoic look on his face. And, I, and he called me one day up at, he didn't call me. We're at church and he called me over and I walked over and I was nervous. And, and he said, young man, I've heard a lot about you and he puts his hand out and I got to put my hand out and he, he does this. And it, which is, if, I'll tell you who he is later on, but it's totally out of character for him. But we were friends like that second because that's my kind of guy. And, uh, and he said, would you, uh, you want to have lunch with us? We've been really looking forward to meeting you. 
and my wife and I, we're just going to have lunch today. Would you come over to the house? And, and I tell you what, uh, he just took an interest in me. He, for some reason, somehow, I don't know why, I don't know how, but he saw something in me that he wanted to, he wanted to pour into. And uh, I, would, I would have taken a bullet for him uh, later on because of the love and the care that he showed for me. But so one time, he asked me some, sometime later, he, uh, at the, we had two services at our church, and, and he comes to me at the second service, and he says, Todd, i got to leave, uh, but we have a guest speaker today. Would you kind of do the intro for the guest speaker? Just step up, take 30 seconds to introduce the guest speaker, and uh, I've got to go, so you can do it. And I, 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 I was petrified. And I know that there are a couple people in this room when that happened, and hopefully they forget about it, but I, was, I panicked. I, I was sweating. I, I hated public speaking. I just think there's just nothing more troubling for me at that time than public speaking, particularly in the church, because this means something to me. At my bank job, maybe I could do it because this is is just my job, but this is my life, the church and Jesus, and and I've got to speak. It was, if you were there, you would laugh, and and, uh, because I got up, and what should have taken 30 seconds took three minutes, because it was like we have a guess speaker today and I mean it was terrible I really was there was nothing good about it in any way and I was just shaking and, and I, maybe it wasn't that bad but it's pretty close and I went and sat down after I was done and there's this lady looking next, uh, next to me and I looked up at her and she's just looking at me with, just in, in shock and I said uh, I said that was bad wasn't it and she said it's be- it was the worst I ever saw I mean <laughs> In any sphere, it was bad. I mean, and, and, I, and I felt worse. And she said, but, but I got to tell you, you were so cute. That was so cute. And I said, it's not helping. It's not. And she said, I'm so glad, though, that you were nervous. I'm so glad that, that, that you were scared. That, that shows me something. And I, I remember that. That was some 20 years ago today. And uh, it was an, um, just, that was just a small thing. I don't know that I did so well as Joshua in my initial you know, testing, if you will. But uh, my pastor saw something in me. And he did what, he did what uh, Moses did next. And the next thing that uh, Moses did with Joshua is he gave him, uh, depending on his initial performance, he gave him additional assignments that required more skills and more responsibilities. If you look, after that, Moses says, Joshua, take 12 and go and spy out the land. So now he gave him a job that took teamwork, it took some extra time, it took planning, and uh, more re- higher risk and higher reward. Even though the trip didn't go so well, I'd call it the, Joshua's first missions trip, even though that trip didn't go so well, his performance was extraordinary, and he proved himself well. I was uh, studying, I was doing some Bible schooling at the time, and, and I was, my pastor called me in, he says, so what are you studying? And your Bible, your Bible schooling. And I said, uh, I looked down on my book that I was studying that day. And I said, personal evangelism. He said, really? What do you, what'd you learn? What are you learning right now? And I just shot up some, shot out some stuff. He goes, that is really interesting. Okay. And so he goes away and I keep studying. And Sunday away, I go to church and I'm sitting in the, in the, in the pew and, and he starts to preach. He says, before I get started, I want to say that uh, we're very excited about this new evangelism class that we're going to be starting. Uh, next Tuesday. It's an eight-week uh, course, and it's going to be taught by myself and Todd Rose. So looking forward to it. Anybody wants to sign up? I'm, I couldn't believe he did that. I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm trying to sit as low in the room. And he's like, Todd, why don't you stand up? And, you know, great, fantastic. And so, yeah, that's me. Good job. And so he, get, he, come, he, he looks over and kind of winks at me, and we get together. And he says, we got eight weeks to plan out. 
So we put it together. And uh, so he's, he's growing me. So in eight weeks, it's amazing. He does what I think the best mentors can do. It's the first couple weeks he teaches and I watch. And I'm, I'm doing really nothing except for watching. Kind of like Moses, if you will, uh, watching the battle. And if <clears throat> and, uh, Moses is leading, right? And so he's teaching, I'm watching. But then in the next couple of weeks, I'm kind of helping him teach. And the next couple of weeks, I'm teaching, he's helping me. And at the end, he's just watching me. And what's amazing is that for, for, 10, years in, for 10 years in Russia, I was known as the guy that goes around to the Bible schools and teaches the, the, the course on personal evangelism. I went to so many different Bible schools throughout, throughout Russia to teach, teach basically what we taught, the new and improved version every time of what he and I taught that one time together. Just to, to take me and say, I see potential in him. What can I do to grow it? What can I do to improve what God is doing in him? And, and after that, uh, well, I'd say the next step that Moses did is he started inviting Joshua to key moments that he knew that he would grow him. If you look at in Exodus 24, it says Moses brought Joshua to a meeting with God that no one else in the camp got to participate in, only Joshua. He went up on the mountain with, with Moses, and although I don't think that he was face-to-face face with God like Moses was, he was still in a place like no other. And then in Exodus 33, when Moses meets with God at the, in the tent, he leaves and Joshua is still there meeting face to face with God Almighty. Moses is putting Joshua in a position to, to, to just grow like no other person could possibly. And I think that's what a good mentor does is he's looking for every opportunity. He or she is looking for the chance to pour into somebody to become the man of God that, that the body of Christ needs them to be. And in my own life, I remember my pastor calling me and saying, I'm going to a church, a small church up in Canton. Would you come up with me? We're going to be there Saturday. I'll preach on Sunday and we'll come back. We'll have a couple hours driving up and driving back and just be a great time to hang out. And I said, yeah, I'd love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so we drove up and we're talking. We get to this, uh, this meeting and there's a pastor and with the elders and, they, and my pastor's teaching them some stuff and it's way over my head. I have no idea what he's talking about really. And I, I'm trying to stay awake really. And, <clears throat> and so he, he needs to take a break and there's a phone call or something. And he says, uh, talk to Todd for a minute. And so he leaves and the pastor there says, he asked me a question. I forget what it was. And I, I answered it, and like all, all the guys in the room kind of look at each other. I'm like, and I, I realized I stepped into something, but I didn't, didn't know what it was. And uh, he said, expand on that. And so I expanded on it. And, uh, and the pastor says, yep, that's him. I'm like, who's him? And, and he said, uh, you're, uh, you're the guy that's supposed to preach tomorrow. And I said, that you, you're wrong. It's not going to happen. Uh, and, and he said, no, I, when I got up and prayed this morning, the elders and I were praying. I really felt like God was saying to me that uh, there's a man that's going to come today and he's going to say this very thing. And that's the thing. That's the man that I want to preach in church tomorrow. And you, you said it as soon as you opened your mouth. And I, th- I, th- I spoke out even. I said, not only are you wrong, but God must be wrong too. Because that's not going to happen. It's just not. I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm a banker. I'm not. A, I don't you know. And my, my pastor walks in. He says, he'll do it. He'll do it. And I'm like, whose team are you on? I mean, you're not my pastor anymore. I mean, <clears throat> and, and he said, you'll do it. And he, he kind of had a look on his face. He looked at me and just communicated to me, you can do it. You got to do this. You can do it. 
Uh, and, and I look back and think that, I, I, and I've met so many different Russian pastors and that Russian mentality is kind of top down, you know, Putin, one strong leader. And we see it so often in Russia where, uh, you just, it's so rare to see a, a leader that would give away his pulpit. I mean, my pastor could have easily said, I'm the pastor. You invited me. I'm going to preach. Uh, and son, know your place. That, that's kind of the Russian mentality. But I'm so glad that my pastor, he comes to me later on. He says, Todd, you can do this. And in fact, I had no idea this would happen, but I, I know it's from God. And he got more pleasure out of seeing me preach than preaching himself. In fact, when I'm preaching, it's one of the greatest days of my life because I, I remember some 19 years ago now, I, I'm, I'm preaching and it's working by the, only by the grace of God. And my pastor's in the back. He's just beaming. He's just so happy. And it just he's just beaming. And he's looking at me, shaking his head. And he gave me the confidence to know that, that yeah, God can, God can work through me. And now that, at that moment, some training is taking place that only God could ordain. And the pastor didn't even know when he was bringing me into that meeting what God would do that day. Hallelujah. Another thing that Moses did was he affirmed Joshua in the presence of, of all of Israel to so I believe, again, to confirm in Joshua his calling, but to, to prepare the people to receive it as well. Deuteronomy 31 uh, says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over to the Jordan. Verse 3, The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from, from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord said, He is the one who shall go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. See, not only did, did Moses take the initiative to meet him, take the, give him initial task and keep giving him tasks to, to increase what God's doing in him and, and keep putting him in positions where he's going to grow. But now he goes before all the people and says, follow him. He's the one. And he does something more incredible that by the day uh, of my, my life in Russia it becomes more uh, just Unbelievable to, unbelievable to me. Moses, even himself, steps aside while he's still alive, while he's still capable to lead, while he's still able, even though he's older, he still steps aside and says, now he's going to lead. Who does that? In this world, in the world that I come from, that's very rare when there's a leader that, that, that gives his role, gives his title, gives his, what I would say, glory, and let someone else take it. But I believe that's what the church is called to. See, I believe with all my heart that we have a responsibility to, as a church to grow in our individual giftings and callings that God has given us. But I believe we have a greater calling to help the people around us grow in their giftings and their callings. And I know that, uh, that when, if you will concentrate on other people, if you'll concentrate on growing their giftings, growing their calling, you'll grow in yours as well. I, one of the greatest examples that I have came in the, in my, in the banking world. <clears throat> I, I was, before I left for Russia, I was, had this fancy title called demographic specialist at my bank. And there was, 
my boss's boss. She was the highest ranking woman at, at Bank One, J.P. Morgan at the time. And she, uh, she called me in my office and to her office and said, uh, whoa, what, this is, this topic is just for you. I mean, this is the only, the only person in our office can answer is you. This is your job. So what, what do we do in this one situation? <clears throat> and I said, I looked at it and my degrees in mathematics and just everything about it, every, on paper, the answer is this. And it just, and in fact, it looked easy. It, I mean, it just, the situation, the demand that you do this. And she said, okay, let's take a look at it. And she, we kind of broke it down. If we do this, this happens, this happens. And it ended up costing us about $50 million. And she, and, and my eyes are huge. And she says, uh, and I, and I said to her, I said, not only is this wrong, it's the most wrong thing we could possibly do. But it, what's ironic is it looks like this is the only answer. And she said, hmm. You know, what should we do? If that doesn't work, what do we do? And I really said, I have no idea. Because it, it seems so obvious. And she said, well, let's think about it. What if we do this? And she gives me the answer. And I look at it. And, and we work it out. It's perfect. Although it looks like you should never do this thing. There's no other way to do it. And so she says, come with me to a meeting tomorrow, will you? And I said, Sure. And we go into meeting. I kid you not. If you look at the bank, at the the bank's booklet of all the fancy f- pictures on the back of the booklet, they're all in this meeting, and and I'm I'm there with them. I'm panicking. I'm worse than before was, and I'm sitting in next to my boss's boss, and I mean I'm I'm shaking. And they're all talking about this issue, and uh, <clears throat> and so uh, they're talking about it. And somebody turns to my boss's boss, if you will, and says, "What are we going to do here? This is your topic. What are we going to do?" And she says. You know what? I have no idea. I don't know. That's why I brought my specialist in this area. Todd, would you stand up? Yeah. I mean, I stood up and she said, really, I have no idea what to do, but I have great people around me. And uh, Todd, what do you think we should do? Come on, help us here. And I said, uh, we should do this. And of course, I gave her answer. I said, we should do this. And this guy from Texas um, stands up. He said, no, we can't do that. That's, that's wrong. We need to do this. And he gave my answer. And, and, uh, and he really just said, basically says, sit down, young man. You don't know what you're talking about. And, and, and this lady says, hold on, hold on, hold on, Todd. What you, keep going. Humor us here. Maybe your answer's right. Maybe it's wrong. Tell us what you think. And I said, if we do that, it'll cost about $50 million. And then the room got a little quiet. And somebody said, explain. And I just did the chart that she did with me the day before. And everybody looked and nodded their head. And I said, there's really one answer. We've got to do it this way. And they looked it out. The guy from Texas kind of, yep, you're right. And uh, the lady says, Todd, thank you so much for helping us. We would, I don't know what we'd do without you. It was just, thanks for being here. And I, I sit down. She kind of gives me a little wink. And uh, the, I, the, the, everybody in the room leaves. I walked over to her and I said, why would you do that? I mean, you would look so much greater if, if you didn't have to bring me here. And she said, make no mistake, I want you to know this, is that I get more satisfaction out of lifting somebody up than I do lifting my own self up. But, but at the same time, don't be mistaken. When I know that if I lift you up, at the same time, I'm being promoted. And I think that it's that mentality that has to be in the body of Christ. It's that mentality, it's that way of thinking, it's that, it's that forward thinking that says, I advance the kingdom of God more when I pour myself into other people than I ever do trying to lift myself up. It worked in Joshua. It worked 
It's worked in my life. I really, next week is Father's Day. And I really wanted to say a great thank you to, uh, to a man that I know that I wouldn't have a, a minister. I wouldn't have influence. I wouldn't be the man I am today if it wasn't for uh, Scott Mary, who's an important part of this church, but uh, just a massively important part of my life. And as Father's Day is coming up, I look at him as a, a real spiritual father uh, in many ways. And I wanted to say thank you. But at the same time, <clears throat> I know... As I know that I wouldn't be who I am today without him, I know that there are people around you that won't be the people that God calls them to be some 5, 10, 20 years from now without you. Did you hear me? I mean that. My challenge for you is this. In some area of your life what you have expertise, in some area of your life God has done something in you and you can give that to someone else. At the same time, there are areas in your life where you need someone to step in and help you. And maybe you're at that role, that place where you don't know where to go. You don't know what it is that you need to do. You're at that crossroads moment. I'm telling you, there are people in this room, there are people in this church body that have the answer. Uh, see, I know that I know that the greatest way, uh, the, the only way, I think at times, uh, I won't go so far, the greatest way to advance the, the kingdom of God is to pour yourself into other people. Projects come and projects go. They really do. But when you invest your life into someone else, you'll reap a harvest in their life and in your life as well. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, I pray for this church body. I pray that just that they would receive a challenge today, Father. That they would, they would humble themselves in the area where maybe they need somebody to mentor them. And they would just... Actively seek out, Father, someone that could train them, someone that can mentor them. Like, God, that you give people even here today a vision, Father, of how you want to use them more powerfully, Father, in the, in the, in the days and years to come. And, Father, you would put people, you would put mentors in their minds, Father, of who can, who can help them, who can train them, who can equip them and guide them, Father, to become the men and women of God that you need them to be to change this city and to change this world for you. And I pray, Father, that you would take people that have been in this church or been in you, Jesus, for many, many years. You'd take them and give them a heart to pour themselves out into others. That their heart would be to, uh, to just to humble themselves and to put, lay away any fear, Father. That they would invest themselves in others, knowing, Father, that there's no greater investment. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.